I hope that you'll turn with me in a Bible to Psalm 20. Psalm 20. As we look together at another royal psalm, a psalm of David. And here in Psalm 20, we have a prayer uttered by God's people for the success and the victory of the king. For David, when he was king, and for every king of Israel who comes afterward. So let's read together beginning at verse 1. Psalm 20, verse 1. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept all your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory, and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall. But we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. Now, at first blush here, we may think, what in the world does the victory of the king of Israel so many thousands of years ago have to do with us in this year 2021? And how could this possibly speak to the joy that we need, the joy that we crave desperately and that we're desperately pursuing how could there be any relevance? What I hope to show you is that Psalm 20, far from being irrelevant and distant from us, actually shows us the only sure and certain way to have joy in this broken and fallen world. The only way, and it's a certain way. And it hinges on the certain victory of God's king. But in order to understand that, we need to know that this is a psalm by David. This is a psalm about God's king, but it's about so much more than David. This is a psalm that points to the king of kings, to David's greatest son, the one Born in Bethlehem, the city of David, and yet the one who is 
so much greater than his father David, the one we know as the Lord Jesus Christ. And his victory is certain. And what we need to know if we're to have joy is that the more assured you are, the more assured we are that Christ's victory over evil, sin, and death, the more certain you are that he will be victorious, the more joy you will know in your heart, the more joy you will know in your heart. And I pray that we would all know more of this joy that comes from the full assurance that Christ will be victorious. And looking at Psalm 20 to see this, we really need to start with verse 6. Because verses 1 to 5, the prayer is grounded on the truth expressed in verse 6. The prayer, to be understood rightly, needs to be read in light of the truth, the conviction expressed in verse 6. Now this I know, this I am certain of. Whatever else I don't know, whatever else I am uncertain of, this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Christ's victory is certain. Christ's victory is certain. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. And the word that is underlying the word anointed is Messiah in Hebrew. Messiah. That is then translated into Greek as Christ. And it all harkens back to the ancient practice in Israel of anointing God's king with oil on his head. And so, in a sense, David, and in a sense, every king of Israel is the anointed, the Messiah of the Lord, lowercase m. But in the greatest sense, Christ Jesus is the Messiah, capital M. And so in the fullest sense, the Lord gives victory to his anointed, to Christ, to Jesus, King Jesus. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Christ's victory is certain. Ours is not. His victory we can be assured of, not ours. And why is it that we can be assured of his victory? It starts by knowing who he is, who he is. As the Lord's anointed one. And to know who he is, you need to know just how loved by God the Father he is. And in light of knowing just how loved he is by God the Father, just how lovely he should be in our eyes. 
altogether lovely is Jesus, God's anointed Savior. Lovely in your eyes today. When you see a nativity scene, what do you see? Do you see sweet little baby Jesus that so many will sing about and reverence and put out and talk about adoring? Or do you truly adore Christ, the one to whom those nativity scenes point? Is he lovely in your eyes? Well, here's how lovely he is in the eyes of the Father. When he grew up and he made his public appearance before Israel, when he underwent baptism by John the Baptist, there was a voice from heaven saying, This is my son. With him, I am well pleased. This is my son. Later, in what we call the transfiguration, Jesus was changed before some of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And they saw him gleaming and shining in white. And they heard another voice saying, this is my son. Listen to him. Listen to him above Moses or Elijah. Listen to him. Further affirming the Father's love for His Son. Maybe you're not persuaded by the voice from heaven. Then I would point you to the life of Christ and see how Christ is everything we are not. Everything I am not. See His compassion for those who are hurting. See His kindness for those who would kill Him. See His love and His mercy to the forgotten and the overlooked, to the least of these. See His zeal and passion for truth, for righteousness. See His righteous, holy anger against human sinfulness. Even His hatred against all that afflicts you and me in this world. See how He is faithful and obedient to the Father where we are not. We turn a blind eye to the hurting, to the broken. We get angry at the wrong times for the wrong reasons. We don't love our neighbors as ourselves. We don't love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We worship anything and everything but God, our Creator. We stand guilty before God and condemned by His holiness, but not Jesus. He is everything you are not, everything I am not. Is He lovely in your eyes today? God's anointed Messiah, the Christ. We can be certain 
of Christ's victory because of who He is. The Holy One of God. And we can also be certain because of what God the Father does in response to His anointed. Look at the second half of verse 6. He answers Him from His heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of His right hand. We see this preeminently in the victory of Christ Jesus on the cross. Substituting His life in place of sinners like you and me. Saying, Father, take me. Take my holy, righteous, perfect, lovely life in place of their filthy rags. Kill me. Let me die in their place. I will shed my blood. My precious, holy, righteous blood in place of them. And the Father hears. He hears His cries. He hears the, the, the prayers of His Son. This is My Son. With Him I am well pleased. Listen to Him. I hear His prayers. The prayers of Dane Hadley? God doesn't have to hear that. I'm not entitled to have God hear my prayers. And neither are you. And this is what we don't understand about prayer. Is we think, well, you just, you just talk to God. I mean, what could be so hard about that? And of course God hears. Well, yes, in a sense He does. But do you understand who you're talking to? The Holy God, the Everlasting Father. Listening to you and me, after all that we've done and said and all of our failures to uphold His righteous commands? This is the wonder of prayer. And the true wonder is that He hears our prayers not because of anything in us, but because of His anointed. Because of the loveliness and the obedience and the righteousness of His Son. And He hears His prayers and He vindicates the sacrifice of His Son. He raises Him to life on the third day. To eternal life that can never be taken away so that now Jesus stands as judge over you and over me. And there is no passage to God. There is no access to God apart from Him. His victory is certain. Yours, mine, not so much. Are you assured of his victory? The more assured of his victory you are, the more joy you will know. The more you can say, it doesn't matter if I win or not. He wins in my place. And that's enough for me. Is his victory your joy today? And then when we look at verse 7, we see that Christ's victory is exclusive. Christ's victory is exclusive. No one will share in the glory and the honor. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. 
but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Chariots and horses. Symbolizing tactical superiority on the ancient battlefield. A nuclear weapon capable of slashing right through bodies of armed men. Now, I don't know anyone who trusts in chariots or horses today. Do you? No. But, here's what we do. We put our trust in the things of the flesh. The things of this world. The things we can build. The things we can concoct and create. This we do. Oh yes. Some trust in politicians and policy. Some believe that their joy, that their hope, that their peace can be found in what a particular government happens to do. Some trust in what they have accumulated for themselves. Their money, their possessions, their accomplishments, their title, their degree. They're self-satisfied because of what they have done. That couldn't be you or me, right? (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Some trust in their beauty, in their physical appearance, in their body. Some trust in their brains. They're smart and they know it. But what happens to all these things? They go the way of all flesh. Whether we want to admit it or not, eventually this body will shrivel up if we live long enough. This hair will turn gray if we live long enough. This brain will get weak and feeble if it hasn't already. This is what happens to all the things of this world to the flesh, and if you are putting your joy in any of those things, if you're counting on that to deliver, you will be sorely disappointed, and your joy will fade just as quickly. Some trust in chariots, and some in horses. Now, this couldn't afflict us in the church, could it? Yes, it could. Some put their trust in pastors, in the charisma or the giftedness of a particular leader in the church. Some put their trust in a program in the church. If we just get the music right, if we just get this ministry right, if we just have the perfect discipleship program, then we'll have the perfect church. Some trust in numbers. If we could just get more people. 
Some trust in their budget. If we just got more money. Some trust in their building. If we fix this or fix that, if we have a beautiful enough building, if we have the perfect order of service. No, that's just like trusting in a chariot or a horse. And God will have the glory. And any of these other things that we can do, that we can build, that we can accomplish, when we put our trust in that, it siphons off the glory from God. Then we start resting in what we've done. And we start getting prideful about who we are. May God protect us. May we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Because look at what happens. They are brought to their knees and fall. But we rise up and stand firm. All those who trust in the flesh will be brought low. All those who trust in the power of the Spirit will rise up and stand firm. The Lord will give victory to His King. He will answer when the King calls and when the King's people pray in the name of the King. He will hear But how often do we put our trust and find our joy in what we can do? Hear these words from King Jesus in Luke chapter 10. Verse 18. He sent out his disciples to proclaim the gospel to announce the downfall of evil and Satan. And the 72 he sent out return with joy. And they say, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Look at what we've done in your name. Look at all we've accomplished. The demons are falling down. And isn't that exactly how we act sometimes? Look at all the great things we've done. Jesus, aren't you proud of us? Isn't this what you wanted us to do? And what is Jesus' response? He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, do not rejoice in what you have done. Do not rejoice in your accomplishments. Do not rejoice in the great things done in Jesus' name. Rejoice in what God has done for you. And what has God done for you? For all of His people he has written their names in the book of life and they can never be erased. Ever. Rejoice in that. That is firm. That is fixed. That is unchangeable. In this life, there will be highs and lows. There will be mountains and valleys. And this is why this truth is so important because when we are living through times of prosperity, when things are great, 
We're on cloud nine. Wow, look at the view. This is where we need this truth to remind us. We didn't get there on our own. We don't get the credit for this. And it protects us from our own pride. Don't trust in chariots and horses. They will let you down. They will not give you lasting joy. But we also need this truth in times of adversity. When we're not on cloud nine and we're in the valley and everything seems dark and sad and heavy and pointless and meaningless. This is where we need God to protect us from discouragement. To remember, your strength doesn't come from you. Your joy isn't found in your victory. It is found in the victory of the King, the Lord Jesus. His victory is the joy of His people. Christ's victory is the joy of His people. And this launches us back to verses 1 to 5. Notice in this prayer, for the advance and the success and the prosperity of the King, it's all about Him. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary. Grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over whose victory? Your victory. It's not about us. It's not about us. And this may be one of the hardest lessons for us to learn. But it's the secret of discipleship. As Jesus says in Luke 9, verse 23, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, all the chariots and all the horses of the whole world, and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Our joy is found in his victory. We have life by losing life, by saying, Jesus, it's not about me. I'm tired of living a self-centered, self-satisfied, self-sufficient life. I need you, and I want to depend on you. And in that place, there is joy abounding and steadfast joy that you can't find anywhere in the world. And it's not even in the good things that you get from Him. It's in Him, enjoying Him, delighting in Christ, enjoying the loveliness of Christ, meditating day and night 
on the loveliness of Christ, delighting in the beauty of His goodness. Saying, in Jesus, here's what is truly good, right, and beautiful. Everything else is vain and vanity. It won't give me joy, but He can. Therefore, we can and we should pray verses 1 to 5. Are you praying for the advance of King Jesus' kingdom? Are you praying for the church of the Lord Jesus? When was the last time you prayed for the church, including this local church? Now you say, okay, well, I thought you just said that his victory is certain. Why should we be praying this? Remember what Jesus taught us to pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. This is a work in progress. A work in progress. Slowly but surely, the kingdom of God is being built. It is advancing. Even when it looks like a mustard seed. Even when it looks like a baby in a manger. And the rest of the world says, what? That can't be our hope. He can't give joy to the world. This is where we pray. Lord, come. Lord, may your kingdom come in abundance and fullness. Not my will be done, but yours. It's not about me, it's about you, Lord. And there's such joy in that prayer. Such joy. This is how God has sovereignly chosen to usher in his kingdom. While we await for the kingdom to come in its fullness with the return of Jesus to the earth. This is how we live, this is what we pray. Are you praying this? I pray that you would. With this assurance. You know what Jesus is doing right now? Is he just kicking back in heaven, looking down, watching, waiting for us to make the best of things? Oh no. Do you realize how active Jesus is as I speak? In heaven? The Holy Spirit is working, yes, in this room. But Jesus, right now, is at the right hand of God the Father. The anointed one of God, King Jesus, beloved and chosen of God the Father, is right now interceding with you and me and for us with God the Father. Don't believe me? This is what we read in Hebrews chapter 7. Now, there have been many priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. And don't miss this, because he always lives to intercede for them. What does that mean? It means Jesus is praying for us right now. He's praying for me right now. He's making up for all my shortcomings in preaching. Shortcomings in my delivery. He's making up for your shortcomings. While he suffered once and for all on the cross, 
He is right now, in this moment, right now, pleading his blood, pleading his sacrifice on behalf of his people. Do you realize that? Do you believe that? Do you feel the assurance in that? That while we are weak and frail and helpless and desperate, he is able, he lives for this very purpose to offer up his sacrifice to say, no, God, Dane Hadley is not worthy. No, Father, they are not worthy. But for the sake of what I have done for them as their substitute on the cross, hear their prayer, Father. And we need him to do that over and over and over again. I need that right now. And in that assurance that his victory is certain, he will prevail over evil, over sin, over death, over everything that threatens our peace and our joy in this world, everything that would steal and rob your joy, he will be victorious. And in his victory, there is joy that can never, ever be stolen from you. Do you have that joy today? Are you assured of it in your heart that whatever happens to you, whatever happens to your loved ones, whatever you read on the news, whatever happens to those around you, his victory is certain and your joy is in him. Therefore, your joy is certain. Do you have that? I pray that you would by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's available to you. Cry out to him. Say, God, I want that joy. And, and maybe that joy has been there, but it's grown cold. It's dull. And it needs to be rekindled. May the Spirit rekindle it right now. Say, I want the joy that lasts, that will never fade, that cannot be stolen. Pray for it. Cry out to God right now for it. And he is faithful to give it to his people as we go to him in prayer now. Father, we thank you for this psalm of victory. A psalm we can read, we can pray, we can impress upon our hearts. We can bury within our hearts because we confess, Lord, that in this world we have trouble and we need this assurance. We are filled with so many doubts. We try to find joy in so many things that disappoint us and that don't last. We try to find joy in the things that we can do, the things that we can make, the things that are in us. And Lord, we confess that is total bankruptcy. There's no victory there. There's no real joy there. Lord, may we find our joy in you by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. May we receive this as a fruit of the Spirit. Joy, abounding, never-ending joy. Not in what we can get from you, Lord, but in you. Lord, help us to enjoy you, to delight in you, and to grow each and every day in our enjoyment of you. As you protect us and guide us by your grace, all for your glory. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.